0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the public holiday edition here in South Africa. It's Human Rights Day. And what a guest we have for you this evening. A legend, an absolute legend of South African football. And I don't want to say ladies football because she's the legend of South African football, former Banyana Banyana and Sapa technical director, I don't want to give her age away, but for over 40 years, she's been involved in South African football. Fran Hilton-Smith, welcome to From the Boardroom to the Lot.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me to be here today. I know
0: we've only got half an hour, but to go back, is in an illustrious, and if I might say, slightly controversial career of yours.
1: Of course not. Um, I feel I still have a lot to offer and... uh... I feel I could have continued uh, in my job at for doing what I do, but I'm still doing it for Casafa, for CAF, for individual people, clubs, academies. So I'm keeping myself busy and spreading the word around and trying to share all the knowledge I've been lucky to garner over the years.
0: Fran, I was going to wait until we were about 10 minutes into the interview give you the opportunity to have your say, which I agree with, the with Football Association. But you've brought it up. Let's follow that lead. I mean, it's just bizarre that somebody with your experience is good enough to be used on the continental and international stage, but our very own organisation, our, I say this tongue-in-cheek, friend, Mr Danny Jordan, just doesn't seem to have any faith in you. What on earth's
1: going on there? Well, you know, you said I was retirement age, but I think knowledge doesn't quite retire. But anyway, I couldn't change that. But uh, I can still give back. I'm still assisting coaches, assisting in development. So I must just follow the avenues that are available to me. And I'm certainly doing that. And of course, you know, assisting players and for me it's been a dream come true that an academy I started 20 years ago uh, for girls has reaped such huge benefits now like 14 of them being in the team that won the African Cup of Nations so all my dreams have come true professional players now women playing overseas also lots from the academy so I know what I've done has been worthwhile, and I'll continue to try to be worthwhile.
0: What's amazing is that in the world of football, age is just a number. I mean, it's—I mean, look at say Alex Ferguson, look at Arsene Wenger. I mean, those household names have into their seventies. Roy Hodgson, for example, coaching. And, it's it's amazing. Yet you are being pushed to the side, if you like, by an organization that are being run by people most probably older than you.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, it was very upsetting, but there's nothing I can do about it as long as the status quo remains. So I must look for where I can do something. And I think I certainly have done that. Um, I keep making a difference, and that's that's
0: the path I'm on. You obviously have laid a foundation, as you mentioned, over the 40 years, and obviously those people that started with you 40 years ago are not necessarily still around and playing football. But it must have given you great pride and joy to see our ladies win the uh, Confederations African Cup of Nations and now, of course, qualify, unlike our men, for the World Cup.
1: Yeah, it's been exciting. You know, when I first started, I I haven't missed the World Cup except the first one in 91. After that, thanks to FIFA, I've been to every single World Cup, 95, 89, the '20 World Cups. FIFA always sent me to do the technical reports. um, And then as guests, even the last one in France, I was a FIFA guest. So to finally see our team qualifying for their first World Cup in France, now, their second one in Australia and New Zealand was something I always dreamt about, and I'd always say to the players, "You know the World Cup's like this, it's like that, so but you can't explain these things; you have to feel them, so they felt it, they learnt, and hopefully this time we can do a bit better, try and get out of the group stage, you know, um but the girls are there and as I predicted, once they got to the World Cup, uh, they were snapped up by overseas clubs because we have some of the most skillful players in the world. And we've proved it now. The Linders, Jermaine, Tembi, Janine. Oh, there's so many. There's yeah. about 20 of them playing professional. So it just shows that we have some of the best in the world.
0: I know you've been involved in the game for an awful long time, but can you and did you imagine how much it has changed how professional it's become and how competitive and how skillful ladies' football is now?
1: Well, I always dreamt it. It was my dream, but I never dreamt it would become possible. And, you know, when I started the academy, when I started some clubs, I'd always have to fight with parents and the mothers would say, no, why well, must my daughter play football? There's no money in girls' football. It's for boys. They make money and... And now I can look around and see people like Tembi, uh, even Andili Zamini said at a function the other night, they're building their parents' houses, cars, they, you know, the, it's now there's a future for girls in football in the professional world. Of course, it's just unfortunate that we don't have a professional league here now fully. We've got Hollywood bets, we've got Sassel, but we need a, Fully functional, professional league. Our girls can all make money. Yeah, but that will come one day. But at least now, when I look for players, I can say to the parents, "Look, there is a future." And of course, when I did the HPC, a big priority of mine was education, and uh, the HPC's got a five-star, hundred percent school. So many of the players who came there went on to study. Get degrees. I mean you take some Pedludlu, she's the under seventeen coach, has a sports science degree, um, Maestra, another one, Kenil Wimati Bella, honors in sports science, uh, an instructor now. And of course I trained twenty seven women with a CAF A license. South Africa is the only country twenty seven women with a CAF A. I did that in my time at SAFA, and now all the national teams are coached by women with a cafe. So I've left a hell of a legacy, one that's going to be hard to repeat. I've been gone from SAFA five years. I haven't been replaced. So, you know, none of this stuff is continuing.
0: Why do you think it is that you haven't been replaced?
1: I'm not sure. I don't want to really get into that. Maybe no interest. I don't know. All right, let's
0: move our attention now. And clearly, over 40 years, you must have a lot to tell, which you've done. About a year or so ago, a song for Banyana. Tell us about the book.
1: Well, you know, I've had so many experiences. Luckily, in my life, I worked for FIFA. I still work for CAF. I still work for Casava. Thanks to FIFA, I travel the world as an instructor, um, doing reports, going kind to of the World Cup. I've had hard times, good times, sad times. So I thought I need to put this down so that it can be a, a, a guidebook for men and women in football of what you can do, what you're up against, the struggles, what can be achieved Um with Banyana And also my life. I had a bit of a life aside from football. I was a very good musician. Um, played in a band called Basadi, Woman of Jazz. We represented Africa in a world jazz competition. And I think I'm one of few people that met Nelson Mandela once playing for him with my band. And secondly, I met him with Banyana. So I've been very fortunate. I've learned lessons and I wanted to put that down for people to Use as an example, I wrote a song for Banyana, Hola Banyana, which was played at every single Sassel game, Sassil tournament. So the book is something that uh, I hope will inspire men and women to do what they want to do and that nothing is impossible.
0: And obviously, you lived through the struggle of apartheid. You clearly were involved in townships and areas of uh, people being, how do I say this without making it sound terrible, but where people were, were kept back and were held down. And yet you fought through all of that. It must have been as I'm sure as in the book. You crusaded not only for women's rights, but for everyone's rights.
1: Yeah, look, there were a lot of struggles. Of course, when I was playing back in the day, 60s, 70s, 80s in the provincial squads, I got into the national team, we still selected one, but of course we were suspended from FIFA. And it was in the late 80s, I think I was approached by a chap called Joseph from a famous player, coach. He was coaching the black ladies in uh, Foslerus and uh, out Penoni, Brackpan, where he had a few teams. And he said, look, can we come and join your women's league on a Sunday? We were playing in Benahony, Breckpan. I said, yeah, sure. So these teams came and joined us. Nobody really seemed to worry about the girls. And so we started multiracial football long before the time. And, of course, you had even, she was 15 then. She's just turned 60. We had the Israelis, the Cape teams, coming up to tournaments we had with Holiday Inn's in Smith and Newcastle, whatever, they came and played. So women's football became mixed long before the men really. And uh, from the that's why in ninety three when we got back and joined Safa, um I was the president of the women's body then South African Women Football Association and we went to meet Safa. Most of our near all our committee were black women you know, coloured woman. So we were already rolling and so we could start playing international football straight away with our first game against Swaziland in 93 and then entered, of course, straight away the craft
0: competitions. It's a extremely <laughs> colourful career. There must be some amazing <laughs> highlights and obviously some lowlights. Take us through a few of them.
1: Well, highlights, of course, were Qualifying for competitions, stuff like that. But low lights, of course, were always having to go and play in Nigeria. It was really difficult times traveling in Africa. We never had enough money. We had no telephones. We were just put on a plane and sent off anywhere. We didn't have medical. The girls didn't get allowances. We went through, we slept on the floor. We slept at airports. We had incredibly tough times. Um, that, you know, sometimes you just wanted to give up. But I knew if I walked away, they'd just stop doing it because I was the only one doing women's football in my 20 years at Saf. I had no secretary, no assistants. Nobody wanted it, but I wanted it. And so those were low highlights, of course. Oh, there were many. Developing my coaches, um Men coaches, I also coached a lot of men, uh, Dr. Kumala, Steve Campbell, Noba Miti, Neil Tovey, uh, all came through the courses that I was instructing. So there's a lot of men too that I've tried to empower and uh, it's paid off. So, of course, the biggest highlights meeting Mandela, as I said, um, attending all the Women's World Cups. I don't think anybody else from Africa has ever done that, but that was thanks to FIFA. All the CAF tournaments, I've traveled Africa. Highlights there too. Um, and yeah, being a musician, as I said, and of course I tried my hand at everything, motorbiking, karate, I was an instructor. So I've tried to squash as much into my one little life as I can.
0: When you look back over the years, you were obviously one of very few women in what was a predominantly man's world. There must have been times when you thought to yourself, oh, I'm just not going to win you, and I'm going to give up.
1: Well, you know, who always encouraged me were men, male coaches, the the Chattarami. Uh, all the men are ready or whatever. All the male coaches are always very supportive. Of course, it was the f- officials of SAFA who were not. So it was always a struggle fighting with the CEOs, presidents of SAFA who never wanted to spend money on the woman, never wanted to buy us kit, never wanted to buy us boots. We always got the second-hand men stuff. Uh, up until even recently, we got second-hand stuff. So... It was always a struggle to try and just have some respect. So um, it it was not easy, but I'm glad I never stopped trying because now we're reaping the benefits.
0: When we look at uh, women's sports, not just in South Africa, but around the world, it's now really right up there. We just had the Investing South African Open that asked you won. we spoke to her on the show last week. We had the T20 World Cup for both under-19s and seniors. We've had some major events here in South Africa. It's up and running. And then we won the Cup of Nations, Banyana Banyana. 20 or 30 million rand was thrown at the girls. And it seems to me, Fran, as if that was kind of like a token gesture. And I don't mean it with disrespect to the girls themselves, But at the end of the day, it's all good and well saying here's a little bit of a bonus, but nothing seems to have been done in terms of the hype that there was around the girls winning the tournament, either from sponsors or from SAFA. You know, rather give somebody a seed and teach them how to grow something than give them the product that's already grown. Well, you know, a big
1: problem for women's football has always been, and I don't quite understand it, that sponsors don't come to the party We've only had Cecil, it's the truth to be told, and now Hollywood Bets. And uh, it's quite strange because the girls are on TV every week. They're on the national TV playing. Uh, they're always in the newspaper. They get big advertising. So we just keep hoping that sponsors will keep coming because the girls deserve it. They they do better than the men, they top of the pops, they win everything, they enter the World Cup, they've been to the Olympics, they're African champions, the best players in Africa, and well I've tried for many of them to have a dual thing that they well educated, have university degrees or coaching degrees, so that they can make some money as well, because many of them don't have jobs, but It is strange that they don't uh, have more sponsors, but certainly now, I think in many countries in the world, they've said the woman must be paid the same as the men. So we certainly hope that happens because in many countries, ours, uh, USA, whatever, the women do better than the men, so they should be paid more.
0: Fred, if we can just talk briefly now, and if I can pick your brain a little bit, and uh, I'm not looking for you to criticise anybody, I'm looking for your many, many years of experience in answering this question for me. South Africa won the Cup of Nations. I'm talking about Bafana Bafana, And let's be perfectly honest, it's been downhill since there. We seem to have this idea that overseas coaches are better than our coaches, yet we have some of the best coaches, as you've already mentioned, in South Africa. What do you think it is with regards to our men's game, where we should be number one in Africa, we are way down the rankings and we just cannot get to qualify for Cup of Nations tournaments, for World Cup tournaments. It is just so sad. What is your thoughts on that?
1: Well, yeah, it is sad. I mean, with the calibre of players, we have the lead, the Sundowns winning the African champs, whatever, whatever. We should be qualifying for this thing. It's a Hell of a something that we just can't seem to get to the bottom of why do we not do this? Is it up to the coaches? Is it up to the players? Um, you know, it's since nineties when was it? Six was the last time we qualified for any of these things. It's just unbelievable and unacceptable that a country with our resources, with our everything should not be at the World Cup. So it's something that needs serious introspection, whether it's a foreign coach, local coach, I don't know. But it's something that's got to be resolved. And we certainly hope they can qualify now.
0: I mean, you, you mentioned a uh, local coach, foreign coach. I mean, I just think to myself, here we are sitting reading in the newspapers every day. First of all, how well our own coach is doing in, in, in North Africa. And then you see the praise that a guy like Marcus Rashford, who's the leading goal scorer for Manchester United, is giving to somebody like Benny McCarthy. And and we can't... One of the big problems we have had historically in our game at national level, we just don't score goals. Are Safa just not taking any notice of these fantastic South African coaches?
1: Well, I think, you know... There's lots to be sorted, but talking about Benny. But it's always been like that. You never respected in your own country. I've been through that. You take Benny, goes to Man United, and he's the big star. The Rashford, everyone recognises him. You take now. I'm studying in the paper. um Lucas Hadevi goes back to his hunting ground, Leeds. The whole yeah. stadium goes mad, claps for him. He's got a museum. He's got a suite named after him. What has he got yeah? So that's the trouble. is players, former players, are not really recognized in their country. It's always like that. It's not just, it's just always been like that. So I, I don't understand. And also we need, you know, if you study, which I have for many years, European teams, you have a striker coach, a midfielder, someone who works to them, someone who works to the defenders, someone who works to the goalkeepers. How many of our teams do that? How many of our players now have to work with individual coaches who work on their particular attributes? It's not common.
0: When we look at the legacy or lack of it that's been left since the 2010 World Cup, the largest supported fan base in the world, Kaiser Chiefs, don't have a home ground. You've got teams still playing in rugby stadiums. It's very sad, isn't it?
1: Well, I think one of that was one of the legacies of two is there were all these stadiums built that are white elephants, so they need to be used up, and I think that's what's happening is teams are going there because the stadiums are already there. Instead of building some more stadiums that we don't really need, let's use the ones that are available and worlds class.
0: And then when we look, Fran, I mean, you obviously watched many a game uh, between the likes of Chiefs and Pirates if you can't get a ticket, and then Bafana Bafana or Banyana Banyana play an international match, and there's a couple of policemen, a few dogs, an ice cream seller, and a few fans. How does that work?
1: Well, that's just sad. It's sad. I think for the Banyana, it's quite a big following. They're starting to pick up slowly. I wish it was much more. It should be much more. I suppose it's down to marketing. You know, I think... Saffir so need a fully-fledged marketing department to just go out and market all these games and encourage people to come have like uh, buses riding around, dishing out flyers, uh, something like that. I think it just
0: needs better marketing. So I'm going to conclude, and I and I haven't asked you this question or I haven't uh, given you any clue as to what it's going to be, so I understand you might need a second or two to think of the answer. It's Human Rights Day. You've been an advocate for human rights all your life, what message do you give, not just to football fans, but to South Africans listening to our podcast today?
1: Well, for all South Africans to stick together, to try and make this country work, despite politicians, we as the people need to make the country work. It's the best country in the world. So we need to be brave, stick together and make it all happen.
0: It's called Fran, A Song for Banyana. It is still available. I guess Amazon, take a lot. Where else can people get the book? And they definitely need to get the book and read it, Fran.
1: Yeah, it's on Amazon, take a lot. So if anyone wants to contact me, i deliver them all I ride right around delivering my books so people can get a hold of me. I'll be at Boulderstone College the 1st, 2nd of April at a big coaching workshop. It'll be there, so contact me, I'll bring it for you.
0: And I am sure you will be delighted to put your autograph on somebody's copy of of, of Fran, a song for money
1: Absolutely, absolutely. A million-dollar seller one day,
0: so get it now <laughs> <while> it's cheap. <laughs> absolutely. Fran Hilton, it's an absolute pleasure chatting to you. And if I may say, on behalf of the South African Sporting Fraternity, Thank you for your service. It's been amazing and may long it continue.
1: Thank you. And thanks to everyone who supported me along the way. They've made me keep going.
0: That is tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Fran Hilton's Smith, a name synonymous with South African football, particularly ladies football, but in general, South African football. What a scholar, what a gentleman, what a champ. That's tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Hope you've enjoyed it. Go out and a song for Banyana. And as I always say, be nice to each other. Bye-bye.